Let's own who we are, make it relevant, and make that shine as, as opposed to trying to be everything to everyone. Just own what you are is kind of where my starting point goes. This is the podcast where we go around the globe to interview marketing leaders from the world's biggest brands, fastest growing companies, and most disruptive startups. Great ideas packaged a certain way want to spread. They want to be told to someone else. This is simple, surprising, and significant. Key to unlocking viral creativity is to make it rapidly scalable. This is Top CMO with me, Ben Kaplan. A native of South Africa, Cindy White is CMO at MyTech, a global leader in digital identity solutions. You've probably used MyTech Tech if you've ever completed a mobile check deposit on your phone. And now the company helps all types of businesses who need to verify customers and detect fraud. Cindy previously spent five years at FICO, another well-known brand that needed some brand sharpening, and eight years at a tiny little startup in Redmond, Washington. (laughs) Actually, it was Microsoft where she went from country lead to global small and medium business lead. She has even worked on the B2C side for brands like KFC and Pizza Hut and credits that B2C experience as being a critical training ground for being a B2B tech CMO. Let's meet Cindy White and find out more about what it's like to be CMO at MyTech. Cindy, first of all, um, thanks for being on the podcast. You identify yourself as a sort of a brand forward CMO. You think about branding. You think about what that means before you start executing tactics. So how do you think about the, the MyTech brand and how do you get others on your team all aligned in the same direction? Yeah, thanks, Ben. And it's just so great to be with talking with you today. Um, brand forward definitely is a, a part of me that I bring to most organizations. Um, and I think it started because of my background in fast moving consumer goods and the fascination with how consumers identify with the brand. Um, I've been able to bring that through into the technology um, positions that I've had and, and hosted and bringing it to the team is really around slowing down, understanding what it is that we do that is market driven and how can we absolutely get everybody in the company on board with that. And the easiest way to do that is to know why and then think about what it means to our our personas while buying um, consumer and then really just um, obsessing about what that is. I like to think about it as personifying the persona, giving the person a name, um, giving them a process, uh, um, uh, personality, and just obsessing about what they do in their day. What do they read? Where do they go? How do they think? And it just really just takes the subjectivity out of it. It's very in vogue now for B2B companies, tech companies to say, yeah, we, we don't love our branding. I wish we were more like a consumer company or a lifestyle. We want to market like that. And you have an early background um, working in, you know, sort of consumer restaurants, hospitality, a brand a lot of people know early on your career, Yum Brands, which is like, you know, the owner of things like KFC and Pizza Hut. How does that that early experience really inform you now? And should there actually be more B2B marketers who have this like pure B2C experience in their career? I personally think it has informed me and shaped my career. And I would love for everybody who's in technology to have had a start in what I consider to be classic branding. Long before the internet was a thing and television advertising was our way in which we communicated, we had to be really precise in this competitive environment of burgers and and really think about 
what it is that we want our consumer to think, act, and feel at that moment when they saw your advertising. So it's a split second that has a lasting Im- implication on the on the health of the business. And really just getting to the point where every advertising piece of communication, whether it's a word, a design, how long you've spritzed the burger to look fresh, that they're going to make that decision in that split second. Similarly, in today's world, fast forward to the plethora of just digital communication that any person in any given day, it's like a tsunami of messages that we get. There's a split second where suddenly your brand, your piece of communication is intentional, it's relevant, and it makes sense for them, and they want to take the action, they want to click on it. And so the thought process of thinking through that persona and what they're doing in any given point of time to make the decision is what I've carried through into the technology marketing. And we find ourselves in an industry today, identity, that's highly competitive and pretty parity when you think about what the product itself can do. So what is the difference that we make in that person's life when they're choosing us versus a competitor? So I would, you know, go back to the start of your question, absolutely wish that most technology marketers could start off in a consumer world where they get um, to make that decision for consumers um, and to think for consumers so that they make it with them. How do you deal then with maybe a, a challenge that sometimes I've experienced as a marketer myself, which is you go into different companies and there are companies that are brand forward or marketing forward companies, of course, um, in, in every industry. But then there are some like, this is an engineering-led company, right? They are not thinking about branding at all. In fact, maybe they brought you in, Cindy, because they need to think more about it, right? They need to, they need to bring in that perspective. So how do you align people on, on that? And, and you think about it when, say, you, know, you had a, a long career at Microsoft, you led the consumer launch of Office 365. And when you have a, a bunch of other people that aren't thinking in this way, that aren't, you know, suggesting it, and they're like, yeah, you know, we gotta, we gotta make office suits, but like, let's make it, let's make this launch sexy. We wanna make this awesome. How do we do it? They don't know anything about it, but they wanna do that. How do you sort of align them and what do you do? Yeah, uh, you've used the word DNA and um, you've gotta own who you are. It's kind of like your own brand your brand self. Who are we? What makes me up my DNA? When you think about it in a, a business term, and Office is a great example, you know, the, the folks developing the product want it to be sexy and they wanted to have all the sizzle. But at the end of the day, it's a utility. Office was a utility. And it's when we decided at that point in time that we were a highly functional brand, that we started to resonate um, with our consumer and with our buyers. Um, be they in small businesses and medium businesses and consumers, they all started to realize that's who we are and they identified with it. So I would, you know, I like to think, who are we? Slow it down. And if, and let's just own that. Let's own who we are, make it relevant and make that shine as, as opposed to trying to be everything to everyone. Just own what you are is kind of where my starting point goes. So if you absolutely need to know who you are and be true to who you are, what about knowing your customer? Are so-called customer personas just another tried and true component of the typical marketing playbook? Or do they help you focus in on what really matters, not just to you, but to your most important audience? For Cindy, the answer is two words, meet Pete. Yeah, um, and it is an internal secret, but we absolutely 
personified our buyer who's a, a product manager, product director. He owns the product inside a financial institution like a bank, and he makes the decision on what technology he's bringing onto his platform that enables customers to open an account and get into the banking app or into the banking environment as quickly as they're possible. And he is wanting to do that, but he also wants to hold out fraud. And so the only way that we can give Pete what he wanted was to get the whole company to think about the product marketer, uh, the pro- sorry, the product manager. What does Pete want? And so we named him and we gave him a name and we understand what he does in his day. We understand the challenges. He's got to think about regulation. He's got to think about optimizing costs. He's got to think about workflows. He's got to think about what his consumer thinks at that point in time when they come on. And by personifying the persona, we could go right back to the developers in the R&D and we could say, this is what they're thinking right now. This is the relevance. We could bring that through into product development. We bring it through into the way in which our customer success people work with their customers. And at the end of the day, when you personify and think for your customer, you take the subjectivity out of any decision-making and it all becomes about the customer. So we started in the marketing division, it quickly went into the product team, and now it's across the leadership team and everybody thinks about our customer in a name, and that's Pete. Well, and and it's interesting how you've done that because I I think... You know, typically you go through a branding exercise. We're a branding agency at top. So we, we go through and we often do personas and there can be some slides that have certain identities of certain folks when you think about it. But it sounds like you actually, you know, it's not just like a slide in a deck or a way to thinking about it. You're really everyone from top leadership on down is thinking like putting themselves in Pete's shoes and trying to think like that person. Um, so that's, that's interesting how you've done that. And, and it's also interesting. Um, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, this idea of like objective decision-making versus subjective decision-making. So subjective decision-making. Because a lot of times you'd be in a technology company and they wouldn't, people wouldn't say that the way you get objective is you think about Pete. They say the way you get obje- your objective is you think about data. Here's what the data says. I can, I can see this. I can see how they're engaged. I can see how they're clicking. I can see sales. I want to measure that. But then you're actually saying there's another way to be objective, which is through this understanding of our customers. So how do you balance those two things of like, Data gives us insight and objectivity, but also customers understanding by understanding that persona or personifying the persona, as you say, also gives us that objectivity and decision. Yeah, it's a great question because we, when you're in such a competitive and high growth category like identity right now, um, the product feature and the product benefits at some point are pretty similar. And yeah, there's going to be a few that are different and innovation is going to happen and then everybody's going to catch up. And so we look at the data to say, how is the product performing? What is it doing? Is it meeting all of the requirements of what it is? At the same time, we also say, we look at our marketing initiatives and we use data and we say, how is our communication? Where are we getting noticed? Um, What different types of marketing tactics, trade shows or syndicated content is converting? But at the end of the day, there's got to be a balance because we're all human. And when we think about what our day looks like, um, we can fill it with paralyzed analytics, for want of a better description, to say our marketing is doing well, our product's performing, and so forth. But at the end of the day, it's that human element. And if we truly are understanding Pete, um, and if we truly are delivering a, a, a solution to his problems in his day, we're going to want to know what that looks like, and we want to build that loyalty, and that happens in relationships. So I like to guide my team certainly work with my peers around, yes, let's make data-driven decisions. 
but let's also understand them from a relationship perspective um, and build those relationships. And I, I guess that one plus one equals um, a more balanced and more objective decision-making. I see. And when you think about getting people on board and getting buy-in from lots of other folks to the marketing direction, how, how do you do that? What's the, what, how do you get people, you know, uh, kind of, you know, aligned so that you're not, you're not like a CMO going off on your own and, and, and really no one else is with you in terms of other leaders in the company? I'm really um, thrilled to work in an environment where the CEO um, understands the function of marketing and its strategic value to the business and uses marketing as a, a tool to help us be directed, to help us be informed, and to build products based on market need. So that's a starting point. Um, so I'm really grateful and I value working in this environment. We then decide based on market opportunity where we should be going. And if you have the right insights and the right balance, um, you can bring your peers along. Um, but the most important thing is to be able to listen and understand that diverse mindsets and thoughts of your peers. We're all there for a reason. We all have a function. We all have our talents and competencies. And it's about being able to listen um, and partner with them because it is a team game. Leading an organization like ours, Benini's, is really just pausing for a moment to understand the diverse thoughts that you've got in the room, making sure that you have diverse thoughts in the room, and then using this, you know, the need and the persona to, to drive the business. So that's what I would, how I would answer that. On the point about sort of diverse voices in the room, I know you've been outspoken on gender inequality and technology. Um, certainly, if you're saying who's in the room, it tends to be more men in the room than, 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 than women. Um, how do you approach that? And, and I also get, I mean, we've sort of said Pete is, is, is your, you know, this name for this persona. But it also, you know, might be um, uh, instead of Pete, it's Mary. And Mary's a fact, a fact, you know, the decision maker, and you've got to address her needs too. So how do you bring that in in sort of technology companies that historically have, have not been really equal? Yeah, I, I think um, first and foremost, we have a role as citizens, as, you know, um, citizens of our communities, citizens um, in the corporate world. We have a role to play in terms of understanding what is going to bring um, more diversity into the um, into the company, but then educating and informing others who might not um, have thought about it that same way, and then just following through. I think there are so many of us that really care deeply about more women getting into technology, and we have great ideas, but we get busy. Um, and so I would say understand it, educate, and then follow through. As as far as it, you know, using what we do in identity. Um, to communicate the role of technology and helping um, equality across all diverse or minorities is that technology itself is not intrinsically biased, right? I, I believe this digital era that we find ourselves in has leveled the playing field and certainly has the opportunity to keep it level. Um, because when we, if we have a device and we have access to the internet, we can transact, we can uh, browse, we can shop, we can inquire, we can listen to podcasts, we can participate, we can have digital access. And 
nobody asks what we are or who we are or if we have a disability or um, if we're from another country. Um, and so it's pretty level. But And therefore, access to this digital realm needs to be protected and kept as equal. And so a company like ours puts a lot of energy around the research and development um, to ensure that the machine learning that we are developing to you know, make our products more sophisticated and their capabilities has to have the right amount of data that's equal of minority groups. Gender is a big thing if you think about biometrics. You know, our voice might sound different whether we are a man or a woman. Um, our skin tone might look different when we're taking a selfie to access something. And so it's about making sure that our sample groups have enough of that diverse data so that our AI um, and machine learning can use all yeah, that data. Enough of that so it's not like sort of self-selected into a smaller group, and be, even though for, for no intended reason actually is biased. As a result. Yeah. And, you know, subliminal bias is a thing, right? It's, it's real. And so making sure that the R&D teams are equally staffed um, from all of the minority groups and so that the decision making, the boardroom is thinking about it intentionally and asking questions, asking the right questions. Will that work in this country? Will that work for this type of person? Will that help people with disabilities, et cetera? And so I do believe technology is a great enabler for um, equaling um, the playing fields. Sometimes it's not the overt biases that are so problematic. It's the subliminal ones, the ones that we never even realize are there. If a machine learning algorithm is only as good as its sample set, then even the best managers and leaders are only as good as the patterns they can recognize based on their experiences. So we owe it to ourselves and to those around us to get the broadest range of experiences possible from multiple perspectives. So I wanted to know, how does Cindy translate branding from something that's a marketing thought experiment to something more tangible and tactical? Yeah, I think um, if you were to take, you know, there's a buying group in any technology decision and, and this particular persona, Pete is at the front of that buying group um, and he has other folks around him. Um, it, a manager that he reports to has a name that's Meredith and he has a, a colleague um, that he that he communicates with to make the decision. But at the end of the day, if we just show up in all of those places in a, in a traditional digital way, um, they're all gonna see that message and it's gonna be bland. So we literally tested on, you know, we, we do small focus groups um, periodically. We work with our resident product managers to be testing and we test um, headlines against them. Um, and those headlines, um, help us break through and we A-B test them and say, okay, well, this is the headline that we thought was more fitting for the brand, but this is the headline that fits for Pete in this particular market. And it takes us away from being product-centric and listing out features and functionality to being outcome-centric. Like, what is the outcome that Pete's looking for? He's, you know, and so it really plays its role in how we break through on, on digital communication um, in trade shows. What, what does our booth look like? And does he drink coffee or does he eat chocolate? Maybe that he doesn't do any of those things and we should be asking him if he wants a cocktail. And those are some of the, you know, the tactical execution items that we think about um, when we carry through the persona. Um, Location-wise, 
Where is he located? Um, what does he like to do in his day? He's not an early bird, but he certainly likes to go to a ball game. Those will help us decide where we engage him and how we build better relations with him. Interesting that you talk about you know focus groups. I mean, I, I would say that focus groups it uh, is you know widely used in a lot of consumer marketing. Is typically done. It is also used in 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 B two B marketing, but but less so you know when it's outside of like a major market research initiative. Like okay, we're go- we're heading into a market. We really want to understand. We do this big project. It sounds like the way you're using it is interesting, which is more on fine-tuning a message or course correcting or more of like a pulse use of focus groups rather than like, let's do the big market research project, validate this market we're going to enter. Then we just go and never think about it again. Yeah. And and like you, I was so excited to start using it again. And it was during the pandemic that it dawned on me that, you know, you can put a focus group together and less of in less time and with less money than traditional focus groups where you're sitting in a, a one-way communication. And so I got excited about it and um, and it's been fantastic to fine-tune messaging but also understand what they really want. As I um, remind you, in our market, it's highly competitive, it's high growth, and there are a dozen competitors that will do a similar thing. But actually what this persona wants, what Pete wants, slightly different. Um, and so we've got to break through the clutter. We've got to stand out. We've got to... Um, reach him when it's most meaningful for him. Maybe he's not thinking about a new vendor when he's at work because he's so busy, but he thinks about it when he's at home and he's um, online and he's clicking through um, his feeds, which aren't social feeds, by the way, they're more forums. And these are what we've discovered in these focus groups and Zoom calls, bless them. Um, they enable us to connect with focus groups in a, in a meaningful way, in a very scrappy and um, an efficient way. So we love them. So how is Pete affected by the pandemic? And that's my, my cute way of asking, actually, how, how is the company affected by the pandemic in terms of the acceleration as more people turn digital, we're doing more social distancing, less in person. It accelerated a lot of things for a lot of companies, digital transformation, certainly a need for more digital identity verification. It's really interesting. You know, we accelerated, I would say, the growth of the category at a a pace we had not anticipated. And so many of our customers think of them as delivery services, think of them as those banks that all of a sudden were transacting purely digital and branches were shut down. You can imagine the volume of digital transactions was just tenfold or more. And so we had to be there. We had to be stable with them. And we became um, both an enabler and an essential item um, in the technology stack. And so we say that, you know, identity technology is now an essential part of most uh, commercial organizations' technology stack. So that was number one. Number two, we had to think we want good customers on our platform as quickly as possible, but fraud, you know, fraud is a terrible thing. There are syndicators of big organizations that love the fact that now more and more folks are transacting online and they can grab those. data points that enable them to be a bad actor. And so we had to find a way to quickly think faster or more um, efficiently than the fraudster so that we could protect and our on our products we're performing as accurately as possible. So get the good customers in, but at the same time enable the organization to minimize their fraud. And so those two things in themselves are just 
made for digital environment. And so it was a busy time. I would imagine that there are more peeps in the world than they've ever been as these product managers take on the new era of optimizing for more customers on their platform whilst minimizing the cost of fraud and, very importantly, managing regulation relative to data privacy, regulation relative to money laundering, regulation relative to um, account takeover and financial um, uh, regulation that lives in banks predominantly. And did you adjust your messaging at all during the pandemic? Did the messaging change? Um, Is it different now than it was before? I think all three. So it was slightly different going into the pandemic. Um, we elevated it um, because it quickly became, you know, we we were using unprecedented times actually in our headline and we had to change it because it was so um, prolific at that time. So, yes, we did adjust it. And then coming out of the pandemic, it is expected now that if you're trying to get online that you would take a selfie. So we've had to really think about moving that along, how we, um, how identity is personal, how we help you make um, better decisions with your identity. So, yes, we've adapted our messaging and before, during, and after. What's on your marketing roadmap for, for pieces that you want to do that you haven't done yet. It sounds like you've done a, a big piece in this company about you know uh, personifying the persona. You've got to define your brand and knowing your brand. Um, companies are evolving, brands are evolving, uh, things are happening. What is there something on the roadmap that's a marketing sort of piece that you need to take my tech to the next level? Yeah, I think it is really around how do we. Um, make identity um, personal for consumers so that they pay attention to it. I think we have a corporate responsibility as a category um, to educate consumers how to stay safe online. And so um, identity verification, be it at the point of applying for a new account or adopting a new subscription to the point where you're re-accessing it, I believe our company is the right company to help um, consumers through that journey and help our organizations like the big banks that we engage with, help them help their consumers in this new normal. We're on the cusp of Web3 and Metaverse and this augmented reality and what its identity is going to look like in that realm. And so how can we get consumers and the banks that, want them and the marketplaces that need them to take a responsibility to protect our identities, both online in a digital environment, but also in an augmented um, environment. So that's kind of the next phase of marketing. How can we market through our customers to their consumer? Top CMO lightning round. First question for you is, Marketing automation, overrated or underrated? And how do you approach it, given that you think a lot about the personas that you're trying to reach? It's underrated right now because I think it can change. Um, it needs to change. It can't, be un- it can't be impersonal. It has to be personal. But once you've managed to use technology to make it super personal, I think it has a, a role um, in our lives. Well, and, and one interesting thought on that, that that we have is we often think about how do we use marketing automation to deliver value, not just sell something, which usually 
is done like, okay, we have, might have these branches, we see actions, we measure behavior, we trigger another communication, we trigger another touch point. Ultimately, we're, we're driven by metrics to sell things. Um, I don't know if you think about that in sort of that personal view and personalizing it. And if we're thinking about Pete or John or Bob or Mary or Cindy, how do we actually deliver value through those communications and those touch points we're having and we serve them, not just serve ourselves? Agree or disagree? I agree. So I think um, automation is going to make it more efficient for us to do what we want to do. So whether it's a marketing message that we want to read or it's providing us access to a piece of information that we need, um, automation is going to help us do that. I think the right level of chatbox, whether it's an automated chat or whether it's literally a human behind there, but it's that access where we don't see each other. That's the automation that I'm thinking of in this world where we're doing our personal lives and our work lives at different times and different days, and we can do life in different ways. We need our technology to be there for us when we want it. And that's what I truly believe in with automation. But there's a responsibility on the marketers that use it to stop to stop just using it as solicitation, to stop using marketing automation for spam, to stop using marketing automation and giving us all a bad name. Be thoughtful about how you use it and how you reach your, your persona, your Pete, in the right environment. And lightning round question number two, content marketing. Everyone's a content marketer these days. They are. Operated or underrated and how do you approach it? Oh, that's a hard one because I completely agree with you that everybody wants to be a content marketer today, but we live in a world of content. Um, and so this conversation is content and it's so rich and an uplifting to be able to listen to other CMOs on your show personally for me. Um, content in an environment when you're a peed and you're wanting to learn which technology is, make, is going to save me more money and make my customers come on my platform partner. He can do that in his own time. And that content is so rich for him. So I think underrated. I'm going to go with underrated. Okay, content underrated. is king. Content is king. Okay. And finally, in-person trade shows. We're coming out of the pandemic now. Being in-person together at a conference or a trade show, overrated or underrated? And how do you approach it? Jeez, I'm underrated on all three of these. I'm so excited that they're back because I think they've come back with more intention and more purpose and they're more relevant than they've ever been. Um, sure. Certainly I'm speaking from, I've only been back at two. So, um, but they are platforms to have relationships, to build relationships where for the rest of the time, we're actually behind our screens, communicating with our customers, communicating with our agencies, communicating with our teams. Trade shows are now giving us that platform to engage in person. What I did notice that the first one that I went back was that no one was really going to the sessions to get their content. They were rather on the booth talking. They were having dinner with us. They were interacting and sharing stories. And so I think they have a role to play. I think it's short-lived. I think it's the next 12 months or so as we all get back and then they may or may not evolve to be something else. But for now, they're great. They're helping us be human to human and building those relationships. Well, and maybe we've all attended a lot of webinars. So we're like, we just do this with our webinar. Let's, you know, let's, let's go have a drink and talk. Let's do something yeah, else. And, exactly. And a webinar in person. Uh, maybe, maybe so. 
So final um, thought of the day is um, given your background in, in consumer marketing to really big tech companies like, like, like Microsoft, where you are now in, in a hot space with a fast growing company like MyTech, um, what is your advice for the next person who's going to come in that path? Um, what would you do differently in terms of your career or, or exposure? Um, what would your be advice be for kind of the next next generation of marketers coming up who might want a similar path? I think when you think about the Gen Zs being the next marketers that are coming up, I would give advice to not pick a field, but to play the field where you think, you know, so many of them want to be entrepreneurs and they've got that entrepreneurial mindset. They're so driven around social and social causes. But I would encourage them to try um, to find an environment where they're really happy doing what they're doing because marketing doesn't have any boundaries. Marketing makes businesses more successful. Marketing helps you uncover social causes. Um, marketing is the science and the art. So you get to be data-driven and you get to be creative in any given day. But finding your your path of where you're comfortable and, and being in an organization or being a, starting an organization that is marketing um brilliant means that you have to understand your customer and to understand your customer, you need to understand many customers. Um, so really try and, and early on in your career, try new companies, try new tactics, try different things so that you can find your personal groove because we're all slightly different marketers and we all, and together we're better. Um, and that's why they are teams and not just solo people doing work. So for Cindy White, if marketing has no limits, marketers must push their limits. Don't pick a field, play the field. To know yourself, know your customer. And if in doubt, ask WWPD. What would Pete do? If you make your customer the hero of their own story, you'll make your own marketing story one that can't help but succeed. For Top CMO, I'm Ben Kaplan. If you are facing any of the challenges covered in this episode, visit our website at topagency.com or email us at topcmo at topagency.com. We'd love to help.